Wow, what a great start to the morning and just what a gift it is to be in your presence and to um, get to enjoy just your offering of your gifts to this community and thank you so much. It makes me actually get curious about the many gifts in the room that are not up here right now, the teachers, the lawyers, the caregivers, the creatives and the rich tapestry of, of excellence and of contribution um, that you're offering day by day through your weeks. Um, as we've talked about a little bit already today, uh, we are very much in the period of ordinary time. As Nelson has said, it's anything but ordinary time this morning, but that's the season that we're in. And uh, it's actually two-thirds of the church calendar is given over to this idea of ordinary time. It might seem never-ending at points, <laughs> um, but I think that's sort of the point, isn't it? Our lives are full of long, long periods of ordinariness. And so the gift of the church calendar is to name that sameness, to take it seriously, and to invite us to consider and give us tools to help us live well in the midst of all that can seem so mundane. So I don't know if you've noticed over the last number of weeks and months as we've been in this, this season of ordinary time, that there's a huge theme around how common it is for the people of God to wander, to get distracted, to think, is this really the right direction? Isn't there a different way, an easier way, another way that will get me there? And the biblical texts don't let us off the hook, do they? You may have noticed that as Peter read the passage this morning from Jeremiah particularly. There's some stern stuff in there. And yet the point of these narratives has never been to say hard things, make us feel bad, and then to walk away. Rather, there can be a grace in honest recognition, and that's what the lectionary gives us. So through this period of ordinary time, we're reminded again and again that life is long, faithfulness is hard, we're going to get distracted, but there is always provision for us. And so I was, as I was working on these thoughts over the last uh, little while, I was struck by this verse in Hebrews, which is this. It says, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And so that's the frame that I want to bring to where we're going this morning in the midst of this long obedience in the same direction to use a Eugene Petersonism. That's a hard thing to say. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And yet, I am going to start with a reflection that's fairly pointed. So. <laughs> Uh, please know that where we're going is, one, is a place of grace. So three short thoughts framed as three images, which I hope will strengthen our hearts. So first, and again, thank you to Peter who read a tough text from Jeremiah chapter two. Wasn't due to read it, but I switched it up yesterday because it's the core of what I want to speak from. I don't know if you felt this, Peter. I sometimes do when I'm reading. It can be hard to get a text and, get a text and think, oh geez, do I have to read that? Um, I don't know if that was your experience, and I don't know what our experience was as we listened, but I wonder what phrases stood out for you. Perhaps it was a phrase like, what fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far? Has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they're not gods at all? 
or my people have committed two sins. There's some strong stuff in there, certainly. Though it does seem to sit alongside the good ways God had wanted to show his care for his people. I brought you into a fertile land, he says, to eat its rich fruit and produce. I led you through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts. So the image that I want us to spend a moment considering is this phrase, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. I have to put on a Canadian accent so you can hear that. Cisterns, there's an R in it. You, you know the word. I was, I was trying to explain to Crystal what I was speaking about. She's like, what, broken systems? What, what do you mean? So cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Or as it says in the message translation, they dug cisterns, cisterns that leak, cisterns that are no better than sieves. The image is intended to stand in sharp contrast with the free-flowing provision of the Lord, the fertile land with its rich fruit and produce, the free-flowing springs of living water. And instead, this overflowing abundance is exchanged for a system of containment. And yet this system of containment in its very design seems to have a problem. It's broken and cannot hold water. It is as useless as a sieve. This image reminded me of Blythe's sermon a couple of weeks ago when she spoke incredibly well. If you haven't listened to it, you should go and listen to it online. Um, about the impact of a scarcity mindset versus a mindset of abundance. That sense of forgetting that God and all his good gifts are enough. We just sang about that. You are enough. And that we are abundantly and belovedly cared for. In the text that she was working with, this mindset led to a series of behaviors like amassing wealth, chasing comfort, and using power improperly. A system of containment, if you will, an artificial way to attempt to bottle up that which God would give freely to all. We know what that looks like in our economic systems, don't we? When out of that scarcity mindset, we're willing to do anything to safeguard our own future, even exploiting the lives of others. I hear echoes of that in the song that Nelson just played from Duke Ellington's um, piece, Come Monday. Lord, dear Lord, I've loved. God Almighty, God of love, please look down and see my people through. He'll give peace and comfort to every troubled mind. Come Sunday, oh, come Sunday, that's the day. This seems to me to be a clear cry for deliverance for a people group who've known nothing but oppression. Sunday signifies this great eschatological hope, this day of deliverance when they will be released from their oppression. And so that is the sort of thing that happens when we forego an abundance mindset and exchange it for one of scarcity at a systemic level. When we make broken systems for ourselves no better than sieves. So a question, 
Is there anywhere in your own life and practice where you wonder if you've either built for yourself or that you are participating in a broken system? What do you want to do with your sieve? We're going to play a song called All the Things You Are. Um, not much to comment on here beyond uh, two things. One, it was originally written in 4-4 time, but we're going to play it in three just because it's fun. Um, the second thing is just to invite reflection on the question that Carrie's just put uh, in, in front of us. Or if that even feels too prescriptive, uh, then to just simply notice what feelings and thoughts are stirring in you uh, as we play.
Okay. So the image of the sieve stands in contrast to the second image that I want to offer. It's a fountain of fresh flowing water. <laughs> this fountain is the opposite of the barren wilderness, the desert and the rifts, the land of drought and darkness. It is this fountain, or something similar to it, um, that will bring forth a fertile land, rich fruit and produce. This fountain, of course, is the life of God himself, poured out for our nourishment and for our care. And so riffing on that same image, later in Jeremiah 17, we read that those who trust the Lord are like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots in the stream. When I see that image, I hear fertility, abundance, fruitfulness, color, pleasure, nourishment. It's almost like anything is possible. And the text says, when we're rooted by the stream, we need not fear when the heat comes. Our leaves will always be green in a year of drought. We'll never fail to bear fruit. So at the risk of trivializing something incredibly profound, I hear echoes of this sort of exuberance in the song that we just heard. There's an exuberance in the music, a sense that anything is possible and nothing can hold you back. Those of us who have ever been in love might know something of that feeling. Like nothing could ever be hard again, there is only color, joy, and life. And yet we also know that that doesn't typically last in love and we revert, as in the Christian life, to a whole bunch of trying to live well together in the midst of the ordinariness of everyday life. There is something so much more profound on offer here. The promise of the true fountain of life, the true stream of living water, is that those waters will never run dry. They will flow and flow and flow, irrigating hard places, bringing life out of barren places. So a question, do you long for life, color, fruitfulness? Have you been drinking from the fountain of life? What might those healing waters have to offer you in this time between the times? So for our third song, final song during the sermon piece, we're, we're gonna play something called Love is Stronger Than Pride. Um, if you're a Sade fan, you might know this song because this, this is a Sade tune from the late 80s, I believe. I don't think it's even in her 90s uh, kind of catalog, uh, but uh, Herbie Hancock, who's a jazz musician, decided to arrange that song for jazz combo, and we decided to try to play Herbie's version. So that's kind of what we're doing here today, just mu in the musical standpoint. Um, Carrie's given us such beautiful things to reflect on. I just wanted to add, the reason I chose this song in connection with these thoughts is that our, our story, I'm so grateful, doesn't present us with a God who fixates on our sinfulness. Even in these texts that do hi highlight our foolishness, that the majority of the weight is centered on one who has overcome and keeps overcoming our attempts to be autonomous and operate with sieves and all of those sorts of things, and he meets us with love. And so the one who is love, again, reminds us there is a love that is even stronger uh, than our pride.
It's interesting, isn't it, that there's a movement in these readings from God's abundant provision to our desire to control and subsequently to the loss of the good things that we desire. And yet the lectionary readings don't leave us there. They move us into a series of readings in Hebrews and Luke 14, all around, of all things, hospitality. So I want to offer a third image for reflection. The image of a cup. The passage that Peter read in Luke spoke about not exalting yourself, taking the lowest place, not inviting your fancy friends and neighbors to your banquet, but inviting those of lower status who cannot repay your kindness. The point of the fountain, it turns out, is not to endlessly fill our own needs, to become waterlogged, if you will. The point of the fountain is to drink deeply ourselves and then to take a cup and freely give it away. This cup is one of particular significance for Crystal and I. We got married two years ago in the early days of the pandemic. Um, no family, just some of our closest friends, some great music, thanks Zach, uh, gathered to celebrate this significant moment together. Another friend who was not at the wedding took the time to think about our respective origins in Alberta and in Wales and to find gifts that would reflect those origins. One of the gifts she gave us was this camping mug, which says, carry and crystal, let the adventure begin. This cup is meaningful because we do love to camp. And every time we unpack the camping box, I remember again the thoughtfulness of the gift. There's an additional meaning, though, in this cup for me. Our friends Sarah and Jonathan were raised in the same group of churches that I grew up in through a very formative period through my student years. A group of churches which I remain incredibly grateful for, but which, let's just say it, I would not be welcome to speak at right now. So to be celebrated by these friends who I've known longer than almost anyone in Vancouver, in direct contrast to the dominant stories that had shaped our earlier years, is a profound and beautiful thing for me. It's an act of hospitality, a giving away of a blessing that's been given to us, even to those who might not get a seat at the table in all contexts. I've been thinking though a bit more about some of the other people whose table Jesus routinely sat at. Not only the powerless, but also sometimes the powerful. I'm thinking specifically of the tax collectors. Tax collectors were people of relative privilege, though still a conquered people to be sure, um, but those who had sided with the oppressors for their own personal gain, even to the detriment of their own people. It's gross. We're right to be offended by them. And yet there they are, at the table with Jesus. There's a line in the song that Nelson and the band just played that says, I won't pretend I'm good at forgiving, but I can't hate you. Although I have tried, I still really love you. Love is stronger than pride. No doubt the song is referencing a heartbreak or something similar. But if we expand our imagination, who are the people that we feel justified in hating? 
the people who've hurt us, whether as individuals or at some collective level? Is it possible to say, I still love you? To say that love is stronger than pride. So I wonder, from those streams of living water, which as we read in John 7, are now bursting from our own bellies, who do you need to share a cup with? Is there an invitation to humility, to demote yourself from the top of the table and reach out to folks that many would consider unimportant or uninvitable? Or is the invitation different than that for you? Perhaps you felt that some folks have sided with empire, have made big mistakes in how they've expressed their values. Perhaps you're ready to cancel them. Like Jesus and the tax collectors, might there be opportunity instead to extend the table, to share a cup of living water with them and watch as those living waters do their work of transformation. In a moment, we're gonna to come to the table where we're reminded again of Christ's generous invitation to us as sinners to come as we are and enjoy this life-giving meal. But we've been reminded again this morning, I hope with grace and generosity, that it's likely many of us have built broken systems for ourselves one way or another, sieves that cannot hold water. May we respond to the invitation to return instead to the fountain of life, to drink deeply of those life-giving waters. And then not to hoard it, but to share liberally the cup of hospitality with those who, for whatever reason, we would rather see displaced.